Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. When it comes to the roller coaster, it doesn't matter how you got to the front of the line. It doesn't matter who talked you into it. It doesn't even matter how long it takes for you to sit down. It doesn't even matter how much fear you are expressing or fear you are pretending not to have. All that matters is that you sit and click and you ride. See, courage is in the doing. Luke chapter number 9, verse 12, Jesus is with his disciples. And if you remember, after he came back with his disciples, all of these crowds started gathering around Jesus, and Jesus began to teach them. Verse number 12, when the day began to wear away, the 12 came to Jesus and said to him, send the multitudes away that they may enter into the surrounding towns in the country and lodge there and get provisions, for we are deserted in this place out here. We're in a desert place out here. Now, if you don't remember exactly where we left off last week, we go verse by verse through the Bible, and in this last passage last Sunday, we said that the disciples had gone away, they had done some great miracles, now they came back to Jesus, and when they came back, there were all these giant multitudes of crowds all sitting there at the feet of Jesus listening. And now it says that the day was wearing on. It was probably getting about four or five o'clock. Now, how do you feel, by the way, when it's four or five o'clock and you haven't had breakfast since 7 a.m. and you missed lunchtime, what are you starting to feel about 4 or 5 o'clock? What are you feeling? You're, feel, you're feeling exactly what this person's feeling. You're feeling hungry. And how many of you, when you get hungry, you get angry? How many of you know what hangry means, right? And so now you've got a few thousand people who are getting really hungry, and the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, look at their... their their uh, message to Jesus, send the multitudes away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country, lodge and get provisions there. Jesus, I, I know you like teaching here, and it's great that they're hearing you, but they've been here all day, send them away. Now, I know some of you think that Pastor Josh teaches for too long, but, but when Je Jesus was speaking, he spoke all day long. How many of you understand an all-day-long sermon from Jesus is far better than a 30-minute sermon from Pastor Josh? Can I get an amen, right? And they were there all day long listening to Jesus. And so his disciples came and said, hey, it's time to send them away because they're hungry. They need to sleep. They need to get provisions. They need to get some food. There's no Taco Bell around here. They got to go out and get something to eat. Now, now notice what happens. But Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Now, the problem with this is that there was no food. There was no 7-Eleven. There was no place for them to go and grab provisions. In fact, they had already done a survey of the crowd, and in the crowd, there were only five loaves and two fish. And so Jesus asked them to do the impossible. Has Jesus ever asked you to do the impossible? Has Jesus ever set you up? Has Jesus ever put you in a situation where you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And then he tells you what to do, and you're like, okay, that's impossible. 
That's exactly what he does with disciples back then and now. And he said to them, you give something to them to eat. And they said, we don't have anything but five loaves and two fish unless we go away and buy food for all these people. Do you want us to run out to go buy a bunch of food? Verse 14, for there were about 5,000 men. Now, in the Gospels of Matthew, in the Gospels of Mark, it tells us not only were there 5,000 men, that, that doesn't include the women and the children as well. Which means if there was one woman for every man, that's 10,000 people. If there was one child for every couple, that means 15,000 people. And in an ancient day where it was a religious society and a society filled with poverty, the likelihood of each couple only having one child is very low. There are some estimates that say this is probably between 10, 15, or 25,000 people on the hillside. And Jesus is like, feed them. Feed them. Hear me. This is not the last time Jesus will ask a disciple to do an impossible thing after Jesus put them in an impossible situation. Because Jesus doesn't expect them to perform the miracle. Jesus says, I will perform the miracle. Just trust me. Now, what does he go on to say? You give them something to eat, for we have no but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said... There were about 5,000 men there, so he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so, and they made them sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up into heaven, and he blessed and broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the multitude. So he takes it in front of everybody, he breaks the bread, and he asks God's blessing upon the food. This is where we as Christians get the tradition of praying over our meals. And some of you men and women, you work in the secular world, of course, every day. And many of you will be in a place where you just bow your head and bless the food and as a testimony to the community around you that you are a person of faith. You'll even be out on a business lunch. and You don't sit there and say, everybody, let's pray to the God you don't believe in. No, but you privately, you bow your head and you pray and they give you a moment and you do that because as a follower of Jesus Christ you're showing honor to God and you're demonstrating faith to the people around you that's a good thing and as a family you do this in your table at home and you gather the family around and you say before we go any further let's pray as a family and you ask God's blessing upon the food and you thank him for the provision and so Jesus does this and as he breaks the bread the Bible says he prays and blesses it and he gives it to the disciples to set before the multitude now something really weird takes place here and I wish I had a video recording of it if I had a video recording of it I would put it on reels and I would get a lot of views because Jesus breaks the bread and as he does he passes it and breaks more and he passes it and he breaks more and he passes it and the loaf just keeps extending as he breaks and the fish just keep multiplying as he gives them out a miracle takes place and Jesus is able to feed between five and 25,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And not only does he feed all of those people, verse 17 says, so they all ate and they were filled. It's not like they took a little loaf and everybody had a little crumb. Oh, that was good. They ate until they were full, which I appreciate because I like to eat until I'm full. Can I get an amen? Praise God for food that fills you to the belly full. You know what I mean? I don't like walking away from a meal where I'm still hungry. 
God likes us to eat until we're full, and sometimes he likes us to eat until we're more than full. We're fat, you know what I mean? Like, it's called feasting. It's in the Bible. It's biblical. Don't look too much into that. It's not true. All right, let's move on. So he feeds everybody to their full, and then the Bible says what takes place is there were so much food, there were leftovers. God's trying to make a point here. They go around and pick up the leftovers, and there was 12 baskets full of leftovers, enough for each and every one of the disciples, those who were serving Jesus Christ, and closely in the front row view of Jesus' miracles, they were provided extra provision for being followers of Christ. How amazing is this miracle? Now, you might say, okay, so what can we learn from this miracle? What can we learn from this story that's found in all four Gospels? Today, I want to show you four things from this passage that'll help you have a deeper understanding. It's a very different sermon, and if you like historical background, you're going to really like this part of the sermon. If you don't like historical background, I have a funny story at the end, so stick around. Number one, number one, let's go ahead and see the background of this story. It's important for you to understand the depth of the story by understanding really the background of what's going on. What did it look like, this feeding of the 5,000? Well, here's this artist's rendering of what it would have looked like, perhaps, on the hills of Galilee, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. But if you look closely at this artist's picture, you might be able to spot and count a few hundred people. There were not hundreds, there were thousands. There weren't thousands, there may have been tens of thousands of people. Now, who are these people? The first thing you've got to know about these people is that they were an occupied people. You say, what does that mean? It means that they were not free. They did not live in a free country like you live in. Don't you? Are, are you thankful like I am? How many Americans in the room? Are you thankful to be an American? If you are, say amen. Now, maybe you're here today. By the way, that's a really sorry amen for a group of Americans. How many of you thankful for this country? USA. Amen. All right. Amen. Very good. <laughs> Now, some of you are here today and you're visiting from out of country or, or you're immigrated to the United States. We're glad and we're thankful that you're here today. But there's a, a special pride in being an American and we're thankful for this country. And part of that pride is that we're free. There's a freedom. We're not the only free country throughout the world. But we're thankful for that freedom. Do you understand not everybody that lives in their own borders are free from outside tyranny? We do have that. Can you imagine what it would be like if an outside power came into your country, into your state, into your city, and they then occupied this city? I'm, I'm not talking about our police officers who patrol the streets and protect us because we pay them to. Those people work for us and they are our civil servants and we're, gra we're thankful for them. I'm talking about having soldiers that don't even care about us, have nothing to do with us, and they're sent from an outside nation to make sure they can control you and put you in your place. No freedom! That's what they lived under. You see, the Roman Empire had come into Israel and controlled every aspect of their lives, which included oppressive taxation. I'm not talking about the taxes that we get upset about, that takes that money and it given to make roads and education and these kind of things. We're talking about the vast majority of the taxation that they went under was taken from them and shipped to another country to build giant buildings in Rome. 
That's the kind of taxation they were under. They would, not only that, these, these individuals in this oppressive situation had to deal with corrupt politicians. Thank God we don't have to deal with corrupt politicians. Amen, amen. All right, let's move on. So maybe we understand a little bit. But they were an occupied people. So I want you to understand what these people were living under. Number one, they were an occupied people. But number two, they were also a warrior people. They had a warrior mentality. The people sitting there being fed this bread and these fish, they were the descendants of Joshua, the great warrior who helped conquer the land of Israel. They were descendants of King David, the little boy who killed the giant, grew up to be king, and secured the borders. They were descendants of the Maccabees, who 160 years before defeated the Greek empire and kicked them out of their borders. That's who these people were. They were a warrior mentality, but they were in the midst of this terrible occupation. Not only that, these people were dealing with a distorted religion. The religion of their day was totally corrupt. For example, they had a high priest. The high priest's name was Caiaphas. His father's name was Annas. Do you know how Annas became the high priest? Well, he probably was just a good little priest. And the better of a good little priest he was, he grew up to be a great priest. And now he was a high priest. No, it's because he was a wealthy man who bribed officials and purchased the position. And when he was too old to enjoy being high priest, he put his son Caiaphas in charge instead. Caiaphas is the same high priest who has Jesus murdered later on. Their whole religion is corrupt and it's divided between the Pharisees who hate the Sadducees and the Sadducees who hate the Pharisees and the Herodians who hate all of them and they're fighting constantly. Now, the people Jesus is talking to, these thousands of people are in this occupied situation. They're warriors inside, but they're frustrated with their religion. They're frustrated with their politics. They're frustrated with the world and they're thinking there's no end. And to these people, God says, I have a plan. I understand there's a fear and a frustration and an insecurity and an anxiety and a willingness to fight, but you're not sure what to do with all of this. God says, I understand. I want to show you something. And then he takes five loaves and two fish and he breaks them. More on that in just a moment. Because to really understand the story, you not only need to understand, as I said, the background of these people, you also need to understand the disciples with whom Jesus worked. Now, this part is going to be brief, but it's very important because it helps you understand this story so much better. Do you understand the 12 disciples? They were extremely diverse individuals. They all thought differently and came from different backgrounds and different perspectives. For example, for example, when talking about the diversity of the disciples, you have people like Matthew who Jesus picked. Can I, can I ask you an honest question? Does it ever surprise you who Jesus picks to follow him? Like, sometimes when you come to church, you're like, I mean, I get it. I look in the mirror, I'm like, of course, Jesus would want me. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, some of these other people. Do you ever feel that way? Matthew is an example of this. Matthew was a very wealthy man, very rich. But the way he became rich was um, he sold out his own people. You see, when the Romans came to occupy the other 
regions and nations, like any occupying force, they would come pick certain people and they would say, you're working for us, you're working for us, you're working for us. If you three go out and take money from the rest of the people, we'll give you some of the money. And you'd be like, but I'm turning my back on my people. Yes, it's called being a collaborator. You're collaborating with the enemy so you can personally enrich yourself. What a terrible thing. And so Jesus, when he goes to pick the disciples, one of them he picks is Matthew, a tax collector for the Romans. I can't believe he would pick somebody like this. Not only does he pick Matthew, the tax collector, he also picks Simon, the zealot. You say, what's a zealot? A zealot was a, a small political fringe group in Israel, highly political, but they were extremists when it comes to violence. A zealot, if you were a zealot during this time, you've heard the word zealot before, it goes back to a political group during this time. The zealots were so angry with Rome, they were willing to commit terrorist attacks, not only on Roman outposts, they were willing to commit terrorist attacks within their own communities, just to wake people up to the injustice of the world. And so these zealots were really terrifying people. In fact, Barabbas, how many of you remember when Barabbas, you remember Barabbas? How many remember when Barabbas was chosen to die, but, the, but Jesus took the place of Barabbas? And the Bible calls Barabbas a murderer and a traitor. Most theologians, historians believe he was one of the leaders of the zealots. That's who he was. He was a terrorist. So you know what Jesus picked? He picks a collaborator with Rome and a terrorist against Rome and puts them on the same team. You ever wonder if God has a sense of humor? Sometimes we think the disciples sat around the campfire and everybody's holding hands, singing Kumbaya. We're so glad we follow Jesus. <laughs> We've always been perfect children. Right? And Matthew and Simon, who had completely different worldviews, both of their worldviews fall apart and they become followers of Jesus. Peter. Peter was one of the disciples. I'm Peter never, uh, Peter was always certain about everything. You ever, you ever work with somebody who's always certain about everything? Never a doubt in their mind. I mean, they're absolutely, they, if you have a conversation, they have an opinion, even if this is a new conversation to them. This is Peter, always certain about everything. And then you have Thomas, who is never certain about anything. <laughs> they're on the same team. You got Philip. Philip is the ultimate bean counter. Philip is always calculating the odds of how bad this might turn out. All throughout the scripture, you'll see Philip speaking up. Every time he speaks up, he wants to let people know how probably this calculated out is not going to work. For you. you ever work with somebody like this? That's one of the disciples. But they were not only an extremely diverse group. This is what Jesus does. They were an empowered group. Jesus Christ, this is what he does with his disciples. Listen to me. He doesn't care about your weaknesses or your strengths because he himself can take your weaknesses and strengths, empower you, and allow you to become the shining example of a Jesus follower the world has ever seen. That's exactly what he does in, in, this, in this passage. 
Just the few, for, few verses before, he gives them power and authority. They go out and preach the gospel. They come back and they were able to, and they will continue to be able to do great things. So to understand this passage, you have to understand the background of the people. You have to understand the disciples themselves. Then number three, I want you today to see this as we move on. You, you need to understand the miracle itself. The miracle itself is so very important to grasp. I want you to understand the impossibility of the situation. Between five to 25,000 people on their seats. And what does the Bible say? God says to them, Jesus says to them, where are we going to buy food? And you say, where was that in the text? Well, it's actually in the Gospel of John. Remember, this story is recorded four different times. And each time, there are little different segments and tells us a little different more about the story. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says to the disciples, hey, hey, so... Where are you going to buy food for all these people? Jesus asks them how we're going to solve the problem. And I love this. Guess who speaks up? Philip, the bean counter. Philip's like, I've been calculating this for like uh, the last 45 minutes, and here's the problem. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, even if every one of them had a little bit. Two hundred days wage. Forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars is not enough to pay for it. We could not do it. Philip's point is look, no matter how you cut this thing, it's impossible. These people are all going hungry tonight. Okay, so get the point. Get the point. Sometimes on purpose, Jesus will put his disciples in impossible situations it's not an accident it's a setup you say wait a second are you telling me maybe i'm trying to put two and two together are you telling me that the impossible situation i'm in right now is a setup god set me up correct here's why because somewhere along the line in your life you stated or said something like man i'd love to see god do a miracle So here's the question. How is God going to show you a miracle if he never puts you in an impossible situation? You know what we want? We want to see the miracles of God, but we don't want to be put in an impossible situation that demands a miracle. So what Jesus does to burst and, and grow the, the faith of the disciples is to purposely create an impossible situation. And then he looks at him and says, so what are we going to do? Like, do you have a plan? Figure it out. Go ask the people if they got some food. How I love how cool Jesus is in this whole thing. You know why Jesus is cool and calm? Because he knows what's going on. And an impossible situation leads to what? Well, an impossible situation leads to a delicious moment <laughs> oh I'm getting hungry already man I would have loved to have been there for this moment in the gospel of Mark chapter 6 verse 39 it gives us another detail of the story that we would not have known otherwise all four of the gospels tell the story but Mark says this, and see if you can pick out the detail that Mark gives us that nobody else gives us. And he commanded them to be all sit down in groups 
on the green grass. What's the detail that he tells us that nobody else gets? What is it? Yeah, green grass. So when I looked it up. In Matthew, it doesn't tell us it was green grass. And in Luke, it doesn't tell us. And in John, it doesn't tell us it was green grass. Why does Mark tell us that they all sat down in, in, on green grass? By the way, for those of you who have never been outside of Nevada, grass... They're all sitting down on this beautiful green grass. D Look, maybe you come up with a different idea. I'll give you my best understanding of why. Why? Here's why. It tells the time of year, yes, but here's why, I think. Here's why. I think because Mark was trying to say this was a really beautiful moment. It wasn't just like, sit in the dirt. <laughs> it's like everybody's sitting down in groups of 50, small groups, right? They're sitting down in their little green grass. Their little tushy is comfortable. Everything's fine, you know. Beautiful day, rolling hills over the Sea of Galilee. You can see everybody out. It's beautiful. Why? Because if you had a time machine and you're a follower of Jesus, this is one of the places you would have wanted to go back and just see this story. Do you know why? Because it was absolutely beautiful. It was a delicious moment. But before the miracle happened, it was not delicious. It was terrifying. <laughs> here, here, here's my question. Could it be that God has set you up with the terrifying circumstances you face so that he could provide for you the delicious moment you've been waiting for? If you're a disciple of Jesus, the answer is not perhaps. The answer is certainly yes. Which leads us to the final thought of today's sermon, and that's the point of the story. The point of the story is very obvious the more you study it. The point of the story is that Jesus wants to give us provision, protection, and perspective. Provision. Christian, listen, Jesus Christ can provide for you. Where he guides, he provides. No, this is not true if you're running away from God. If you're running away from God, you're on your own because he lets you run. He's gracious. He's a good gentleman. He does not force himself upon you. But the moment you run back to God and you're pursuing God, God, as he guides you, provides for you. Provision. Endless provision. My, um, I took my family a couple years ago to a water park called Blizzard Beach. And um, the water park was going to be a lot of fun. We are going to have a great day. Um, but uh, everybody wanted to go do different things. And um, it's hard to carry like a wallet in a water park. You know what I mean? Because you put it down, you know somebody's going to steal it and take all your $78 in your account. So you're like, I don't want to do that so so they offered bands where you could wear the band and there's an rfdi chip in there and the rfdi chip is connected to your account so you can automatically charge your lunch like so if you want to go get lunch in the middle of the day instead of going to the locker and getting your wallet out you just take the thing and you scan it at the little hot dog stand and you can 78 dollars for a hot dog scan done right it's a piece of cake 
So I told the kids that day, they're all teenagers. Uh, mom, and, mom and dad did not want to just be with them the entire time. They wanted to go do stuff. Mom and I just kind of wanted to chill, you know, water park, sun, right? Just enjoy the day. And so we're like, have fun. And they're like, what about lunch? And I'm like, what about lunch? Get a job, hippie, you know? <laughs> no, I said, I said, for lunch, take your band. You can go to a restaurant and just scan and just, you can have lunch that way. This did not work out so well for me. Can anybody guess why this may have not worked out so well for me? Because they're teenagers and they're hungry. And even after they ate, they're still hungry. And there's lots of fun stuff to buy. Oh man, did I have a peaceful day. But I gotta tell you, I also had a bill racked up at the end of the day. Where I permitted them to go, I provided them along the path. Listen, the Bible tells us this is true of every disciple. Jesus Christ, if he guides you, will provide for you. And he does so, not so that you can scan and ask for anything you want, so that you can consume it upon your own lusts and wanting desires. No, he provides for you because you're on mission. As long as you're on mission for Jesus Christ, he's going to fund your mission. So that means if you need a house to accomplish your discipleship, if you, you need a place to work, if you need uh, food to eat, if you need nice stuff, he's going to give you whatever you need so that you can do what he called you to do. You say, what if I'm not on mission for Jesus Christ? I have nothing for you as it relates to this. This is not about you. There is a general principle, and that is the world is tough, you're on your own. And I don't mean to be cruel, I don't mean to be rude. I'm talking about the benefits of being a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the benefits of being a follower of Jesus Christ is he sends you on mission and he says, whatever you need, I'll take care of it. By the way, I've done this long enough that I realized I don't only scan for the things I need, sometimes I scan for the things I just want and I'm shocked how much he provides for me. You say, why? I don't know. He's just a really good master. Does that make sense? Provision, provision. The disciples will always, if they follow Jesus, be provided for. Number two, the disciples will always have protection. Now, if you think differently, some of you are business people, some of you are military people. Your mind thinks differently in some ways. And so what, what you'll see in this passage is what not a lot of us will see. You're going to see, and I know it because I read a lot about these passages, you're going to see this aspect of, wait a second, wait a second, Josh. It seems like Jesus is setting himself up as somebody who can protect from everything. Because like a, a few pages before, he protected them from demons, and then he protected them from natural disasters, and then he protected them from diseases, and then he protected them from death, and now he can protect them from starvation. It's almost like Jesus is setting himself up as the great Messiah who can take over the world. And to you, I'm like, oh my word, you're right, I see it too. Wow. So much so that the disciples took away from this story the belief that Jesus was literally gonna march into Rome and take over because he can feed even an army. That's what they take from the passage. Now, Jesus was there to die and bury and rise from the grave, we're gonna see that, 
But man, what a powerful lesson that disciples will always receive provision, always receive protection, and lastly, always will receive perspective. You see, the disciples are supposed to see the world differently. They've been given a front row seat on the most amazing ride that's ever been. And what I'm trying to get across to you is that disciples are not just historical figures who wore robes. You are disciples. You are just as much of a disciple as Mary. You are just as much of a disciple as Martha. You are just as much of a disciple as James and John. And you are called to do what you're called to do in your time. The same way they were called to do what they're called to do in their time. And this is all provided for you if you take it. So will you trust him? Will you, tr- will you trust him? You see, it's not about the fear. It's not about the time it takes for the gate to open and for you to walk over to the front seat and, and sit down, you know. And maybe decide that it's going to be a little too, and so it takes a minute. It's not even about what you're feeling inside, because some of you are like, I feel a little scared about this ride and what's going on. I get it. It's not about any of that. The question is, will you sit and will you click? Because the courage that you need is to just do what God has called you to do and to trust that he will provide and protect throughout the entire perspective of where you're going. So I end by asking you this for that person in the room waiting for the test result. Do you trust him? For the person this week who's waiting for his college application to come back, do you trust him? For the person who's working through a relationship and trying to figure out where the status of that relationship is going, do you trust that God knows what he's doing? Some of us are so overwhelmed by what the election results will be in two months, do you trust him? Some of us, the financial strain of the pressure of all of this inflation and all of the problems that we see, do you trust him? Some of us wonder if there's any way you could ever change. God, will I ever be able to change? Do you trust him? Some of you are overwhelmed by whether or not my friend will ever come to Christ. Will they ever repent? Will they ever receive Christ? Do you trust him? He, listen, Christ is trustworthy and that's the point of the whole story. Is that you as a disciple of Jesus will have a front row seat to seeing God provide some of the most amazing miracles the world has ever seen. All you have to do throughout the process is just sit down, buckle in, and get ready to raise your hands. See God do great things, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing, beautiful story, one of the most famous stories in all of Christianity. And my prayer is that you would help us to see how it is relevant to our lives as modern-day disciples, that you would help us to see your provision, your protection, and the perspective of the world that you want us to see you as the great miracle worker. Bless us as we leave this place, God, with a renewed passion to follow you into the future. In Jesus' holy name, we ask these things and pray.
Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.